And I was able to go over and spend about 10 days uh, walking through Israel and, and hearing some things for the first time and seeing some of the context for what happens in our scriptures and to be there and to walk along some of those places and to, to really see uh, the actual physical places. And like I said last week, these were real people, right? These are real places. These were real things that happened. There was real pain in people's lives. There was real uh, forgiveness of sin. Even there was, there was reality there that, that hopefully these pictures will help you understand that uh, to get an opportunity to see through uh, my eyes what I got to see in part anyway. So where I want to start today... Now last week we talked about Jesus and Him being inserted into... A situation and, and he was able to help real people with their real physical pain and real things that they were going through. And, and you're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. That's just the reality of it. The Bible is the story of God and Jesus is a central figure for us. He's the one that changed the world literally. And I want you to understand it in context. And so I want you to follow with me as you read what Paul wrote to the Roman audience. These would have been folks that were both Jewish and Gentile, so they would have been part of the promised covenant that would have happened in the Old Testament. Okay, They would have been Jews, so they would have been people that would have been brought into what God was doing from the very beginning, that He chose them as, their, as His chosen people. And as it twists and He uses His chosen people to kill his own son, to bring that all about for the benefit of the rest of the world, to open up a doorway to his grace through his son. And so Paul illustrates that over and over and over through his writings. And I want to make it clear that this was happening in that first century inside of the Roman world. And we're going to see what some of that looked like. So if you're following along a new version, you already see we're in Romans chapter 11. It would be Romans chapter 11, verses 25 to 29. And Paul writes these words, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full member of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, there are enemies, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. At this moment in time, you're seeing all of God's plan revealed. Up until this point, the promised Messiah had only been a figment of the imagination inside of the Jewish people. Okay, Jesus only existed in Isaiah, Jeremiah, all of the words of the prophets. And so... All of their hope was pinned on the fact that in Genesis, God says, you are my chosen people and I will deliver you. 
In Isaiah and Jeremiah, it says the deliverer will come from Zion, from Israel. That that deliverer is going to come out of them. The specific promise that is made to Israel is that I will bless you and I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, right? And I will bless the entire world through you. And as you see the words of the prophets unfold in Isaiah and Jeremiah and all of these different accounts throughout the Old Testament, you see the track that Israel is on, that that they are God's chosen people, that He has set them apart, that He has made them something special, right? In the Exodus, if you read through the book of Exodus, He leads them through the desert, right? Leads them to their promised land, which is Israel. And so as you step foot in that place, you're understanding that all of history intersects through there. It's really hard to explain, especially if if your mind works like me. I am such a history nerd that, that all of the different groups that came through Israel all are represented at different places and different times. As they dig, uh, they find something. No matter where they dig, there's something from the Ottoman Empire. There's something from the Byzantine period. There's something from the Roman period. There there is something everywhere that they turn a shovel. Because it's basically the center of all of history. And you don't even understand that fully until you stand there and you try to take it all in. (laughs) From a guy that has been in archaeology most of his life. and And he even says, you know, I can't tell you all that is at this site because there's just too much. And so what we're going to do is just take one thread through it, right? And we're going to continue to look at the biblical narrative. So as I look at some of these things and I try to understand it, you've got two tracks going on at one time. You've got the Jews and you've got Paul speaking to the Jewish audience and saying, listen, as far as election goes, they're good. God chose them before the foundations of the world, okay? They've been the elect. As far as Jesus goes and and the Gentiles go, you need to follow Jesus. And there's these two tracks that are blending. After this, everyone will have to come under the covenant of grace. Everything is going to have to change. Up until that point, he is saying that the nation of Israel is secure, that God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. And so the Jewish people... Uh, are continued to be brought in under what God has done in the past. We can't can't change what God has said. What God says is, I'm going to take care of my people, and I'm going to preserve a remnant. There will be some that I will save. The deliverer will come from Zion, and he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them, when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they were enemies for your sake. They were enemies to what was happening with Jesus. Does that make sense? They were enemies for our sake. As they were hardened in part, part of them didn't see who Jesus was so that we might have the forgiveness and the remission of our sins. As far as the election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gift and His call are irrevocable. A couple of the pictures that I want you to see first. There's a couple here that 
that are from a synagogue in Migdal. Okay? And so you need to understand that part of what I want to talk about today is how at every point in history we get consumed and enamored with ourselves, with things that we can do. <laughs> things that we can ascribe to or aspire to rather than what God is doing. So as you look at these first two pictures, this is what a synagogue looks like. That's the whole thing. Okay? That was the foundation of a synagogue that was uncovered in Migdal. And you can see that there are uh, several places where there are benches around the outside where you could have sat and you could have listened to the reading of the Word. And you can see that there's a couple of different chambers that as you continue to go in, and if you see right up in the top center, you see a small box sitting there. And that was the center of the altar. That was the place that was where the Scriptures were contained. So... If you show the next one, you'll see that there is actually a block at the entrance that has, what do you think those two little notches are for in that period of time? Any ideas? Yeah, yeah. No, close. That would have been for a sacrificial altar. This is a different altar. You're right. That's a good guess. For the scrolls. So that what they did is they would open, much like you see in, the, in a lot of churches today where there's a big Bible up front and it's opened to a passage of Scripture for the day, there would be a reading. And so they would have opened the scrolls and the scrolls would have settled into those two little pockets and, and been held open. Very functional, right? The issue with the Jews is that they became really enamored with the law and with the customs and the traditions, right? They bought into a way of life more than they bought into God the Creator, right? So that's what ended up being their downfall. When Jesus comes and starts to change their way of life and their understanding of all that was going on, they could not see through what they had learned and what they had been taught and the traditional way in which everything had been done. They had conformed. They had conformed to something other than what God wanted them to be. This is important as you read through chapter 11. You can read the entire chapter at some point, and it just walks you through some of this stuff. That Jesus was going to change the way things were, and that the Jews were going to have to understand they were part of it. That some of them were going to accept Jesus, but some of them, their hearts had been hardened because they had bought so into the law, and they could accomplish it. They could check it off the box. They could know this is a way of life. I can do it this way. It's much simpler for me just not to eat pork, right? It's easier. I can get my head around it rather than trying to get to know the God of the universe, People are people, folks, <laughs> okay? That's what Paul is, is talking about, is they're gonna, you're going to struggle with the same things over and over and over. This picture just demonstrates that they had a place of worship, that they had a system, that they followed it, and they thought that was what was going to save them. <laughs> they were missing the relationship, and yet we sit here in a building, right? in a place of worship. And in modern day, we argue about which songs are more appropriate and, right, and what carpet color would be most effective and things like that, right? Because we forget about the fact that the building really has nothing to do with my relationship with God. 
That would be me conforming to an American ideal of church. (laughs) Just as the Jews did, they conformed to what the Jewish idea of church and the law and a relationship looked like. He's talking to this Roman audience. Remember, it's a mixed audience. And bump down here with me to verses 33 through 36. And yes, this is the verse that, these are the verses that we have even on the bulletin board back here because, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. In this particular instance, you need to understand that everything, literally everything that had been created was from God. That He had a plan from the very beginning. That He orchestrated it, right? That it began in the Garden of Eden and there was a fall and then He chose a people and those people lived according to His rules and His laws. But at every point, they missed the heart of God. He loved them. He loved them entirely. And He continued to want to have that relationship with them. And that everything around them, the way they made their synagogues, the way that they chose to to worship, all of that stuff was really supposed to be about bringing glory to God. Not about making sure that we're doing it right. Does that make sense? There's a little nuance there, okay? Because you could do everything right. You could show up and you could do it exactly the way you're supposed to and still not bring glory to God. Because bringing glory to God is what comes from our heart. It comes from an inside transformation, not the outward confirmation of of life around us. Conforming to what church looks like doesn't make you closer to God. That has to come from the inside out. It cannot happen from the outside in. You need to remember that everything that you possess in your life Everything that's been given to you. Why we, why we hang on this verse is because we have to believe first and foremost that everything we possess is from Him. That we get to use it for His benefit through us, through our lives, through Him we get to be used. And at the very end, we get to bring glory back to Him. That's what the goal of all of it is. That's really what every day is supposed to look like. To be thankful that, God, I've got another day. How can I use it with you today? And at the end of the day, saying, thank you. It really can be that simple. But a lot of other things get in the way. The world tells us lots of different things. The world tells us to conform to what they think looks more like a Christian, more like a believer, more like a church, more like an effective community, right? And Paul knew all of this. What is so captivating to me in history is that people stay the same, really. I don't usually study the people. I study the ways in which people communicate to the people. 
how they go about helping the people understand things in their context. And, and Paul, writing to the Romans in chapter 12 then. He brings all of this home in chapter 12. After he explains to them what God has been doing from the beginning through the Jewish people, that they are hardened, but they are still saved, that they were hardened and brought Jesus to death for their sake, because everything works through Him, right? Everything is His plan. And then he says, Therefore, at the end of all of that, after I've explained all of what it means to be a believer, he looks at the audience and he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Basically, now that you understand, now that you can see all that God has been doing, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You've probably heard those verses a number of times, but I want to help you put them in a more of a context even today. The very first sentence, right? Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I've already said it a little bit, but as you stand and understand the mercy of God, when you look back on your life, when you simply read chapter 11 of Romans and put it into the context and say, this is all God did up until this point. And as we stand here, what does that mean going forward? Because I understand this, because I can see God's mercy through Jesus for my life, what does that mean that I need to do differently? And it says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He's talking to this mixed audience again. And so he's got to tell them, I need you to sacrifice your lives. Why would he include that unless it was about a Jewish relationship to sacrifice, right? All of these various religions at this time, Roman and Jewish, a lot of them revolved around sacrifice. But they would sacrifice animals on their behalf, right? They would bring other things in, wheat and food and all these different things, and they would put them on an altar and they would sacrifice all this stuff, but their physical bodies were still yet untouched. And so you could easily walk into a place and say, I want to be more holy, here's my sacrifice. And in everyone's eyes around you, you look more holy. You've conformed to the system that exists. Because they showed up, because they made a sacrifice. But that's not what Paul says, does it? He said, if you really want to understand God's mercy, you need to understand Jesus gave His body, right? And I'm going to ask you to be like Jesus. And offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. He wants our lives. 
He wants what we believe. He wants what's inside of us, not necessarily what we act like. We have the ability to hide what we truly believe, folks. Until really pressed and squeezed, right? And then what is inside of you will truly come out. Once you offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, you will then be doing what is true and proper worship. That you will be understanding that everything I have, internally, externally, all the things that I have are from Him, right? This is right on the heels of what He just told us, that everything is from Him and through Him and to Him for His glory. So everything that we do, everything that our life revolves around every minute of the day should so be immersed in thinking about how can I bring glory back to God by what I am doing. Even when I'm enjoying just time with friends and family, how can I love them in such a way that they know I love Jesus by the way I love them? He doesn't list an entire group of do's and don'ts here. He just simply says for you, as you are created, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. How He has designed you. Verse number 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will In moments of despair, when things are not working out the way we think, right? Our default is to think, God, what do you want to do with me now? I thought I had it figured out and I was working on it. And you dismantled it, right? (laughs) Maybe because you took what God planted in your heart and you went just a little off, right? You started to make it your own. You started to conform to the pattern of the world and pursuing something that, that yes, looks good, looks right, but maybe not what God had designed for you specifically. Doesn't mean that you have to do a 180 degree turn and go in the opposite way from God. Do you understand that you could be off just a degree or two and still be out of the center of what God really designed you to be doing? So those two words do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind inside of the Roman context. And we're just going to run through a few pictures here because what you need to understand is that the Jews had lived in this land. They had they had done their synagogues here and there and they lived in a certain way. And all of a sudden, Roman occupation. Rome was all about conformity. It was all about doing everything the same same way. It was repeatable. And so they had a blueprint for the way their cities looked. They had uh, a way in which they operated militarily. They They had invented things that were way beyond their time that allowed them to succeed. And so they continued to recreate those things and continue to move forward. So we're just going to look at some of the ways. Just start flipping through some of those pictures. The theater. Every small town that Rome built had an outdoor theater. 
Because that was the way in which they, they invested in people's cultural ideas. And you think, well, wait a minute. I've got a theater in my house that the world is still influencing the way I view culture through, right? That was a Roman idea. They used the plays, they used the stage to do things so outlandish that they could stretch the boundaries of what society would allow so that what was actually happening didn't look that bad. And they could change the perception of culture through the theater. And there was one in every city for that purpose. See what's next. This is a hippodrome. If you're a sports fan, this would have been where you were at. This was the chariot races. Okay? This is what they would do. They would also build, if you didn't like the theater, then you could go to the hippodrome and you could watch chariot races here with thousands and thousands of people. They would enculturate you that way. They had one of these at every, this is Caesarea Martema. Okay? This is one location. The last theater was there as well. Let's see the next one. I'm just going to rattle through some of these so that you see these are all over the place. Did somebody know what this is right offhand? An aqueduct, exactly. So, reliance upon the government's ability to provide you water, right? All of the sudden, they're providing services that change your life, right? It's not a new idea, folks. The idea is that they brought this water in so that you would believe that they were actually providing for your needs, not God. And in a way, you took water and all of a sudden it became Roman, not created by God. It was subtle, right? But they found a way to transport it right to your felt need and changing the way you viewed it. Next. <laughs> Another theater. This one is at a place called Scythopolis. And you can tell they've put, in, they've put a wooden stage back because they actually use this theater still today to do outdoor performances in Scythopolis. It's a pretty amazing structure. You can see uh, part of what would have been an Acropolis on the hill over there. You see the stairway up that would have been able to watch for, for the watchtowers and other things for the surrounding areas to help guard the city. The Roman architecture that still influences a lot of our homes today, right? I mean, think about this. This is first century stuff that still exists. Next. Another one of Scythopolis, just a different view. Every Roman city also was intersected by two roads, one going north and south, one coming east and west, two main thoroughfares so that wherever their armies were coming from or going to, they could parade right in and out of town, right to the heart of town to show you what was going on. Anybody was going to arrive, one of those main thoroughfares was going to be used to impress upon you the importance of Rome. Over and over, every city that you look at inside of Rome, inside of the Roman culture, looks like this. Next. Another picture of the theater gives you an idea of how high you were. This was my group standing up there uh, on actual stone benches that were from the first century that they had uncovered. 
That's me. I just wanted to make sure you knew I was there. I, I was like three quarters of the way through my trip, and I realized I could have pulled all these off of Wikipedia. <laughs> Next. All right, we're going to look at those two in a minute. So you need to understand that as Paul was writing these words, he was writing them with intent. Because inside of the first century, what they knew in Rome was that there was a way they were supposed to conform. That the society around them had changed and you were supposed to adapt. You were supposed to go to the theater. You were supposed to go to the Hippodrome. You were supposed to go to the baths. You were supposed to indulge in all of the the hoopla that happened with every crusade that they went on. You were supposed to bow down to every emperor that came in and out of the city. There was a conformity of life that they had never seen. That was beginning to be imposed on them that didn't involve any of their rituals, any of their law, or any of their purposes. If you read through the Scriptures and you look at the prodigal son, one of the interesting things that, that I thought of and one of the guides brought up is that this was probably where one of the prodigal son ended up. That story, was a faraway country. Well, Israel's the size of New Jersey, okay? I mean, we're, <laughs> you're not going away like across the, the sea. But a far country, a different world would have been in their backyard. At every Roman city, it would have been entirely different culturally for what they had grown up in. And so this young man would have been enticed by the lure of the horse races or the theater or the baths, the gymnasiums. It was totally different culture for him. And he was like, you know what, Dad? I don't need what you give me on this farm. I want to go over there where those bright lights are. Because culture was changing around them and they were being conformed into a different image. And that's why Paul uses that imagery as he speaks to the Roman believers, Jewish and Gentile. Because it's not about conforming to a way of life. Not holding on to necessarily the way of life that you've always been a part of either that you've conformed your life to look like a Jew, but that you should be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by spending time with God, the Creator of the universe, that you could internally change your heart, that you could allow God to work from the inside out, that you didn't have to change the way you looked, the way you behaved, the things you did. It should come from the inside that you would literally transform what you do, who you are, what's important to you. That as God reaches in because you understand His mercy and He breaks your heart for what breaks His. And He leads you on a journey not to conform you like the rest of the world would want to with that outside pressure, but he wants to transform what you believe, what you see, how you view the world from your heart out. That's why it's so important to understand this stuff contextually. 
to put yourself into the place where the writers were. Folks, I cannot change the Bible, okay? But again, people don't change much, right? We have a layout of our cities. If you drive all and up the East Coast, right? That doesn't work in our modern society because they never thought we'd have these cars that everyone would own, right? They all replicated each other. They all wanted to be like each other and they conformed to, a, to an image that was popular at the moment and, and, things, and it just, we continue to do it because we're human, okay? Because we're people and the people of the Bible don't necessarily change and God uses the culture around them to impress upon them. Listen, keep focusing on me because <laughs> I don't change. From the beginning to end, he didn't change. His story is the same, the beginning and the end. It doesn't matter whether you went to the theater or not. You can be transformed from the inside out. The last two pictures actually are just an illustration. This is of just a piece of a wall, a sheep pen, basically, that they had used. And you can tell that they put a lot of effort to to make this wall smooth, conform. You can see the way in which they spaced the blocks. They took a lot of forethought, spent a lot of time in shaping the stones before they put this together to look like something they wanted to be a part of. Does that make sense? They put a lot of time into that and... And yet the next picture is of a wall that was existing. And, and these literally were, I took the picture here of a new sheep pen that was built. And I turned around and the old one was right there. Why in the world would you do that? Other than you've been influenced by the world around you, right? You have a perfectly good sheep pen right here but it doesn't look like the other one. It's not up to the latest in technology or the most fashionable, maybe let's say. And so they literally back to back, this was all uncovered. And and I I was just struck by this and Randy brought it up as well that that they have these two things side by side and it was this it was this merger of culture that was happening in their world and this pressure to fit in pressure to be like everybody else to have the same white picket fence and that's what Paul was talking about when he said don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world You're spending so much time trying to fit into the world that you're forgetting about the usefulness I already designed you to have. That you were already created on purpose, with purpose. That you don't have to fit in and look like everybody else to do what I want you to do. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on in his letters to unveil this thing called the body of Christ in which all of us serve different roles, that we all benefit 
from the uniquenesses and differences that all of us possess, that we would not, as a church, be able to accomplish what God's mission is without people that have different talents and abilities, without people's different mindsets, without people's different missionary visions. We wouldn't reach out because we wouldn't see it. There are things every day that I hear from people that I'm thinking, man, that's awesome. I never would have thought to do it that way. It's a celebration of the differences on one purpose rather than the sameness just to cause an effect to look the same. This building is just a building without you guys. We lost a 150-year-old church last weekend downtown. It's an incredible stone structure that nobody chooses to use for worship anymore. That's just the way of the world. Things have changed again. Don't continue to conform to the pattern of the world. Focus on that which is unchanging. The thing that is in and through all of this is that God was at work from the very beginning till now and He will until the end. (laughs) That He worked through the Jews, He was with them, provided for them, did everything He needed to do and when it was a key point, He allowed them to sacrifice His Son to bring us in. He put them, His chosen people, as enemies of the gospel for our sake. To be able to transform us, to give us the unique opportunity to know God and allow Him to change our hearts from the inside out. So I hope that you'll reread some of these stories and think about some of this stuff, that this happened in real places at real times. And some of the stories there, yes, have have deep imagery in them and that, but, but reality is this is about the people of the Bible that God was continuing to reach out to generation to generation. And Paul was using an illustration that was very, very prevalent to their culture. It hasn't changed much, but we don't have horse races, chariot races in every small town, but, but we have lots of other things, right? That become central to our communities more so than the church. And that's not at all how God intended it. They are supposed to be supplementary, but not primary. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would continue to to work in our hearts and our minds, that, that as we look to You, You would continue to transform us from the inside out. That as we see the the change in the world around us, that it continues to move and and that things will always be different and we can continue to chase and to conform and to move or we can, can allow ourselves to rest in who You are and who You've made us to be. That we would continue to, to work in and through some of the things that we see around us. That, that we would utilize the technology, that we would utilize the gifts and abilities You've given us, but that we would do it in such a way so that it would not look like We want to be just like the world, but that we want to be just like you. 
Father, thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity to love you. Thank you for loving us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see clearly through our days and our weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.